Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast, episode 51. I am your host today, Carrier's Edge co-founder Mark Morell, and joined as a big surprise by... <laughs> the other co-founder, Jane Jezrawi. Yes, and lots of things to talk about this time. Mm-hmm. I'm just listening to that opening music, and the second part of it is kind of a nod, my nod to 80s guitar heroes and shredding guitar parts and really the do, 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 do. Yeah. that's shredding guitar parts well no that's the modern nod to it oh. uh, i couldn't put all of that in there actual uh, as shredding guitar parts because it would sound cheesy and dated well on that topic we should have a moment of silence for that's what i'm thinking of we have moment of acknowledgement for the passing of the great uh, edward van halen yes. last week or this past week which was in some ways kind of a surprise, but also not after, really after you get over like the initial, Oh my God, Eddie Van Halen is dead. It's like, Oh yeah, he's had a, several health issues over the last years has had a couple of different bouts with cancer had uh, hip problems. So hasn't been super healthy for the last gotta be 10 years. So, uh, is not that much of a jarring surprise, especially mm. in the year of COVID when, Lots of people seem to be succumbing to other issues. Yeah, and that's what related. And that's what happens. I think also during the winter, like around Christmas, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people tend to. Yeah, for whatever reason, these things are are, uh, triggers that will force people to move into that next stage. uh, You know, when they may not otherwise have done it. But yeah, so a uh, a moment of acknowledgement for the influence uh, of Eddie Van Halen, who almost single-handedly created the hair metal craze. Uh, and I'm not sure that was a good thing. Yeah. I, I so don't know if that's a benefit. That yeah. Well, but hair metal, it was, it was what it was, right? A whole generation of guitarists uh, uh, inspired to pick up the instrument and start shredding uh, thanks to him. So, And then everybody got over it and moved on to something else. Some other crazy thing. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what we're, uh, let's not, well, let's move on. we've got it out of the way. We've okay. done our part. We have. We've acknowledged it. Uh, we have lots of other things to talk about this week in this episode. Uh, we have all been busy with different activities. We've got lots on the go mm-hmm. and very little of it actually related to our regular product. So this so is going what to be else a, is new? Yeah, a product free <laughs> uh, podcast. <laughs> oh man, so much yeah, of my was, time is spent not doing my job. Yeah, how is it we get any product out I the know. door? <laughs> Okay. Um, so you were actually, just before we started this, you were uh, doing some work on what was it remote work tools yeah i'm doing um i get every once in a while i get email from um a a writer from transport topics basically asking me a series of questions so it's it's an interesting um a lot of the time when i talk to um different writers or members of the press I am talking to people on the phone. Like mm. that's generally what I'm doing, except for this one who always sends me email, and I and and actually every so often I get email, but um, this one writer always sends me email, and I always think it's funny because it's like you know, it's it's the ultimate, you know, do we really have to contact each other? <laughs> not, and I'm thinking, no, not really, because I prefer it. So it kind of goes with this subject matter of remote working, which. We actually enjoy, we enjoy not being together. I mean, it's tough. It's tough now because we're forced to not being, be with each other, like be with our entire team. Most of the time we're happy to not be with our entire team, but we do get together once in a while. But because we've been prevented, it's been worse. Yeah. And that's interesting. In the last episode, we talked about virtual conferences and virtual training and sort of best practices around that and things that people have learned over the last six months. But since then, in fact, just in the last week, you've Mm -hmm. ended up doing a bunch of work, uh, research on the psychological side of things and getting more directly into the, the details of what works and what doesn't work when doing 
uh, remote, what works when doing remote work. Or Not, remote communication. Yes. I think it's really what, what it is, is remote communication. And because I was just thinking about like right before we started this podcast, I was thinking about because we're a remote workforce and I, and I was writing something about how, you know, we will continue to be a remote workforce and that is a challenge to find people. Mm-hmm. And why is that a challenge is because you cannot, not everybody thrives with remote work and it's because you have to have really good communication skills. You have to be able to overcome all of these things that everybody is having challenges with right now. And I'll go into that in a second about what I've been doing over the past couple of days. Um, but you can't, you don't have body language. You don't have, you know, sort of the sense of a room. You don't have that, all of those nonverbal cues. So you have to make up for it. So you have hmm. to have you know, sort of not, you know, superpowers or anything like that, but you do have to have kind of a little bit of extrasensory perception to try and figure out from different cues. You have to learn those cues. Hmm. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. It's, uh, we were talking last time about all of the social cues in a physical classroom or a physical conference versus a virtual one. And all of those things that end up subtly driving behavior of the participants that in a physical classroom people pay attention because other people are paying attention mm-hmm. in a conference you pay attention and you you don't storm out when you're unhappy because it's not socially acceptable but it's exactly the same in a remote workplace in a physical workplace there are as you're saying the social cues of oh i see everybody is trying to work so i won't stand here and talk loudly or i see these people are done with his conversation so we should leave the coffee machine and, and go back to work or something. And in a virtual workplace, in a remote work, you don't have those same cues. You have a whole different set of them. And one of the things you were talking about, yeah, the, the body language is a huge one. And any conversation, I, I can see a reflection of myself now and my arms are gesticulating wildly as they always are when I talk. But in a virtual meeting, you don't necessarily get that. And that's one of the things that, well, so backing up a little bit, I have been involved in a virtual conference, which is not a trucking conference. It's a, um, it's a magazine out of the U.S. Uh, called Fast Company. And they have, they're having a week-long innovation conference. And it's a virtual conference, of course. And apparently, um, I think they normally do it or I think the last, it's only the second one. And I think the last time they had it in person, but it was in the States and it, it, because it's this time of year, it probably, I wouldn't have been able to go anyway. So it's nice to go to these conferences that normally you wouldn't be able to go to. Mm-hmm. So this is very much, um, not trucking. And I mean, there's no transportation at all. Like nobody's even talking about electric vehicles or, mm. or, or self-driving anything like there's nothing it's more of a creativity it's conference very much creativity and how to how to communicate better how to include diversity more how to you know all kinds of those right brain um and you know to be honest more progressive ideas so which i always like because it's a contrast and what i think is very important for everybody and you know not everybody will agree with me but i think it's important that everybody get as much information from both both from different points of view as possible and you may not agree with it but just get the point of view so that you know what it is Mm -hmm. so that you have something that you can start measuring against and start thinking well how can i balance these two points of view so I read right-wing things, I read left-wing things, I read fiction, non-fiction, like I will just do everything and read everything just to, to be a sponge and get to all that different pieces of information. So this one is very right-brained, very creative, and, and also really helps me because I'm in charge of all of our creative stuff. But what they were talking about, um, there's been different sessions. Uh, the one that I thought was really interesting yesterday was uh, three Microsoft engineers talking about the effect of Zoom, not Zoom meetings, but virtual meetings on your health, hmm. like on your it, on your mental health and what virtual meetings do to you 
uh, like do to your what they can do to your body and how difficult it is because so for example um, one of the things that you find in zoom and uh, is the is the Brady Bunch blocks <laughs> right? Yeah, gallery view. The gallery it. view, yeah, and yeah, I don't really know all the the terms for it. And one of the problems is, and we came up, we had a problem with this because we had uh, someone, we had one of our um, staff leave, and she didn't leave; she left. We were kind of part of the. Uh, the statistics now, she left because she wanted to spend more time at home with virtual school and all of that difficulty. And we didn't really want her to leave. So we had kind of a, go- a going away thing. And what we did is we did it virtually over Zoom. Since and we can't get everybody together to sign a card. Yeah. Uh, we, we had a, yeah, a Zoom thing where everybody said what they would have written in a card. They got to say it in a little short video clip. Right. And the problem was, is that, so Mark is trying to write down the order that everybody's going to speak, and he's going by the order of how he sees everybody in Zoom in the gallery view, except the person next to him said, no, that's not who I see. That's not the order. And it kept changing as well. Yeah. So every time someone speaks, then the order changes because Zoom tries to go to highlight the person who's making the most noise. So anybody who had their mic on and was doing, you know. Well, and that also came up when somebody's in the middle of talking. If you get a dog bark on somebody else's thing, boom, they pop up right. into the front. So yeah, it was really problematic. But how does that relate to the mental health stuff? Well, when you are in a room with a group of people, you there is group behavior that you have that we have evolved you know, over hundreds, you know, thousands of years, everybody does this. So you're in a group of people and somebody is speaking, everybody looks to that speaker. Mm-hmm. And then, so that eye contact, eye contact is made and the body language will tell you, you know, the speaker will know who's paying attention, who's not paying attention. You know, if somebody doesn't look at you in the group, so you're speaking to a group of 10 people and nine of them are looking at you and one person is looking away, you know, you know that means it means they're distracted. Somebody's calling their name. They don't want to listen to you. Something is happening with them. Why aren't they looking at me? So in a Zoom call, you don't see all ten people. You mm. see maybe five, depending right. on how big your screen is. So you lose that contact. As the speaker, you have no contact, and the other people in the group may see that person. They may not see that person. They may not see the speaker. So that eye contact is lost. And even when you do have eye contact, you think you have eye contact, but you're looking down to see the person and it looks to the speaker like you're not looking at them. So you're losing all of that. Yeah, you really can't do eye contact. You're looking at a camera in the best case. And if you're looking at the camera, you're not looking at what's on screen. Exactly. And and there's so what the Microsoft engineers were talking about is how they've designed teams to, to their product teams to behave in a different way, which makes it look more um, realistic. So it's mimicking what the actual body language of a group discussion would look like instead of making it like that Brady Bunch thing. And then there was an example where one of the speakers said, well, if I look to my right... I can make it seem like I'm looking at the speaker, but I'm not. I'm looking at my kid doing her homework. <laughs> so it's false. There's all of this falseness and and it, it, it induces stress. The other um, another interesting thing was that people are very stressed. Like you have an innate reaction that you can't control to large faces. Mm. As everyone is probably aware, the large faces and maybe blurry faces, but you're getting large faces depending on what you've got your screen magnification set to is a feature of virtual communication is that you're not seeing someone's entire body. You're not seeing them in context. You're seeing this, you know, disembodied face, which gives you a stress response, a fight or flight response. Mm. That is, you know, you someone comes right up to your face, you're like, hey, back off. That's interesting. And so many people, especially if they're using it, uh, a mobile device for these kind of meetings, 
that's what happens. You mostly just see their face. Yeah, that's so, so we yeah, have, weird. you know, techno and no one has really studied because it hasn't been used on a widespread basis. No one has studied what the effects are. And what I, my immediate thought was, my, what are the effects on children? Oh, yeah. And what I do know anecdotally is that um, our daughter is not having a great time in her virtual classes because the teacher is not... What may have been passable as a teaching style physically is not cutting it so much virtually yeah. let's just say well and that's one of the things that we've talked about before that you have to really step up that delivery game mm-hmm. uh, if you are presenting if you're the leader or the facilitator of one of these remote sessions you've got to do a lot of extra work and i think you had a session where somebody said something like that as well that you've got to be like 20 percent more energetic than yes. anybody else in the room you're performing right and yeah. you're performing you're not just performing you're performing for television yeah. you know this is this is video this is not it's not um you can be forgiven for a lot of things in real life yeah that you don't get forgiven for in video the, yeah that's really interesting and uh it could uh, that whole effect on it it's really it's interesting to see now after seven months or so of this giant social experiment on remote work, what some of the impact is and the things that you would never have considered, like the mental health impact. I can totally see why people talk about Zoom fatigue or Mm -hmm. getting exhausted. And and I've seen it a little bit as well. You do a couple of hours of video calls and my God, you're dead. Uh, It's so different than if you were just going from one meeting to another where you would be able to relax with somebody, even the same people that I might be seeing physically and be pretty relaxed with and be really happy to see them and coming out of that meeting feeling energized because I've had that social interaction. When I do it virtually with the Zoom uh, or some other kind of video meeting, and it's the same thing with Teams, if I'm using Teams for it, uh, it's exhausting. Even people that I've known for years and have a great relationship with is very tiring. But think about the difference in a video call versus versus real life where the pauses are gone. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have the, you know, if you're having a coffee with someone, you're not necessarily talking all the time, but you're on a video call and, and, you know, a phone call is kind of the same. Um, but the thing is we're having more video calls and for some reason, and I want to talk about this too, is why are we having more video? Like, why is video yeah. now the new phone? Like, why can't we talk on the phone anymore? <laughs> but anyway, going back to... I have a whole rant queued yeah. up for that one. So when we get there, I'll be ready. Okay. But when you are talking to someone, you have a conversation, You say you're in a coffee shop or whatever, there's a lot of pauses where no one talks. Mm-hmm. You're having your coffee, you're eating something, you're, you know, looking out at the window at someone else, like, you know, hey, look at that guy in his truck, he can't parallel park. Um, you know, look at that dog. And, you know, you just sit there for a couple minutes and go, huh, yeah. No pauses in video calls. Well, is, if there's a pause, you don't know why. Yeah, there's nothing, or, you know, until someone tells you, oh, you know, the smoke alarm just went off or, well, you probably hear it, but, um, you well, know, my you, dog is, my dog is bothering you. Yeah. And also do people drink coffee on zoom calls? I don't know. I have, but then I felt weird because, mm-hmm. but then I'm thinking, well, I would drink coffee on the phone. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing a presentation. Why don't I just drink coffee? Like it's, <laughs> uh, you know, but I don't know what the etiquette is because no one knows what the etiquette is. Well, you're is also, yet. you're not having the same shared experience when you're both in a, a coffee shop then, or even in a, like just in somebody's office, having a meeting, you're both in that same physical space. You're having the same physical experience. So if something weird happens that you're both looking at, you don't need to speak of it. It's just intrinsically uh, shared by both of you. Yeah. And in a virtual meeting, when you're in two uh, different spaces, it's not like that. There's a lot more pressure Mm -hmm. on, on, you know, fill the space be interesting, yeah. uh, make sure you get to the next point on the agenda, blah, 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 keep it moving. And, um, and sit I, up straight and make sure your lighting is good. Yeah. You, you spend all of that time just focusing on how you look in the camera. So what we do in our remote working environment, and this is something that I'm going to mention in my answers to this, uh, 
to this re- uh, to this reporter is that um, y- you don't need to use video. It doesn't need to be video. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, people can, you can talk on the phone, like you can talk on Zoom without using video. You can have a conference call and just have people talking. And it's a little bit more relaxed because we all know how to talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. We don't have to look great. You can slump over in your chair. You don't have to make sure your background is working. And also, like, do you need a call? Like, do you need to have the meeting? What is the purpose of the meeting? And this is something that comes back to, you know, be, having better communication skills than the normal average person, because you can decide, is this a call? Is it text? Is it email? Is, what is it? What does this, what does this subject matter require? Mm-hmm. And then you can decide, you know, do I, can I wait and bring it up when I have a meeting somewhere else, blah, blah, blah. And also, and also, can I do it through text? So we are using Slack now, which I think is a really good virtual communication tool because you can have video if you want. You can have a call if you want and you can text. You can just say, if you have a quick question, I don't need to call you on video and make sure that you're all your hair is brushed and your lipstick's on and blah, blah, blah. I can just say, you know, do you have this picture I need? Hmm. And then you're good. So... But how will I know if people are working if I don't randomly call them with a video and check that they're actually sitting at their desk working all the time? How do you, I think that's an interesting question because how do you know that people were working before? Yeah. And to clarify, I'm being very facetious. Oh, you are. Because, you know, you, you. I hear people say that all the time and I think it's ridiculous. Well, it's the same question as how do you know people are doing the course? Yeah. You know, I can't see people doing this e-learning course, so how do I know they did it? You know. <laughs> you know. Well, it's yeah, it's it's like that with everything. How do I know that they're actually driving that truck? You got to trust them. So there are signs that, you know, and you just have to have some thought you have to have some thoughtfulness behind it how do i know that people are working what are the results that people are working versus is recognize what what it is that you're paying them for you're not paying them to sit at a desk for a specific block of hours well sometimes you are and that's in a different like if it's a support if it's a like a support desk then you are you have to sit at your phone you have to be available to people yes you're paying them to respond to inquiries during particular times oh good yeah you're not just paying them to sit at the desk. It's still less about the time block and more about the outcomes, more about the output of work. And it ends up being, yes, you need to answer questions from uh, customers when they come in and you need to be available to answer the phone when it rings. But sometimes you're on a call and another call comes in and it goes to voicemail. You know, that's acceptable. In that situation, it's acceptable that it rolls over to another agent or goes to voicemail or something, uh, and you're not considered to be a failure. So if you're away from your desk for 10 minutes, is that the same failure? Why is that any different? If the end product is that customers still get served and they're happy and all the problems are resolved, does it matter if somebody wasn't sitting at their desk at exactly 9 o'clock in the morning? And in terms of group interaction, you know, are people... Being on time for a meeting is really important in yes. our in our sphere. Being on time for meetings and being able to connect to a meeting is a sign of you. Well, that's that's, yeah, that's, that's a, a very table clear, stakes. You know, that's a very clear way that you know somebody is working. So the output absolutely is a big part of it. Um, but being being where you're supposed to be. Yeah, being where you're supposed to be and. Uh, participating, contributing to the things that you're supposed to contribute to. And sometimes that just means sitting at uh, your desk, listening to the call and um, hearing what's being said or what other people are talking about, being a spectator to that. But sometimes it means getting actively involved. And sometimes, well, what we also do is um, status reports. Everybody in the company does some sort of report on what they've done during the week and it's due on different days. So my team does it for Tuesdays because that's where our for Monday nights because Tuesday is our team meeting. 
um, and his support does it for, I think Friday is yeah, when they Friday do theirs. Yeah, Friday is meeting. And um, and then on the week, and then on Fridays, the management will do theirs and have that available to everybody so that everybody knows what's going on. And that kind of thing really helps too. Is that when you can see people accounting for their hours and end of, uh, let me go back there for a minute. Um, development basically tracks everything that they do through the system that they their tickets Mm -hmm. go in so development the way that our development team works is they have a ticketing system um in jira and they go and report on their time and blah 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 so you can see who's working on what and who's progressing and the conversations that are happening around that um for content we have conversations all the time that are going back and forth and we have our team meetings and we have status reports. We know like what, where everybody is. And that is essential to remote work is knowing where everybody is and does who needs help and who needs whatever. And sometimes you have to really keep an eye on it because they don't always tell you when problems are coming up. So you made a really good point there. It's essential to knowing where everybody is, but that not is, physically is a virtual thing yes uh and and so that's I, I think an important distinction we may not know where somebody is uh or exactly what they're doing at that moment but we know where they are in the progress of their work yes and that over many years of doing remote work with people we've learned that's a, a critical element is to know where people are at in their progress are they progressing at a reasonable pace is it going along okay are there unforeseen speed bumps? Are they hitting the normal expected speed bumps? And uh, where are they at? Do they need help? Are, are they figuring it out on their own? That kind of thing. And that's been very, uh, very useful in staying on top of it without having that sense of micromanaging. Because it's one thing when people are in an office, you can kind of keep a, an actual eye on them. And there is that sense that they've got to be seen to be working and stuff. But when they're at home doing remote work, if you start trying to micromanage like that, it becomes really intrusive because now you're not looking over them in your office. You're looking over them in their homes and it becomes very big brotherish. It's you're in their den or in their bedroom and it becomes very intrusive and there is going to be some anxiety for them there as well. So it really doesn't work the same way. When people walk into an office, there's an expectation that somebody's going to be looking over what they're doing, Mm -hmm. that they're sort of always on the job no matter what. But when they're at home, it's very different. When they're doing remote work, it's a very different kind of vibe. Uh, So you have to approach it that way and um, track the output, track the progress, not track the location and... Um, the minutes and hours quite the same way. But having that sense of community, um, I think Slack really helps. Yes. Oh, it's with that, that. Just because you, you can have these one-off yep. comments and send pictures to people and there's a lot more ability. It's so weird because I, I remember when we worked at SoftArk and, and we were working with chat and I had forgotten the the whole chat Mm-hmm. vibe that whole thing i mean this was in the 90s when we worked there and when it was called chat before it was text messaging yeah i guess i still think of it as a chat um yeah I although get, i guess it's, it's chat in zoom and these other virtual tools they have chat windows there yeah but we were using it i mean the mid 90s when we were doing it not that many people were doing it no. and we did it all the time as a matter of course and the thing is is You know, as much as Zoom and Teams and all of those things are good tools, nothing beats a chat. Oh, yeah. Nothing beats like these text messages. And I see our kids with the text messages (laughs) just constantly. They don't talk. They're not, you know, they're not using video, really. They're they're texting. They're chatting. And it's a. And they may be chatting with five different people at the same time. Oh yeah, that that just kind of well. I used to be able to do lots of different chats too. I think it just might be an age thing. <laughs> <laughs> the kids today with all their chats and stuff. I know, but it's a it's a really good method of communication that I think people are overlooking, and maybe that's one of the things that I'm going to add into my 
information for this journalist is that, you know, don't overlook the, you know, just sending a text or mm-hmm. sending, doing a quick back and forth. I mean, I just did that with um, uh, our marketing, um, our marketing staff or Harpreet, basically just going back and forth over pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want this picture? You know, I want this darker. I want this lighter. Can you put this text on here? And I don't really need to have a Zoom meeting with her no. to to have that conversation. It's Or a, even a call. No, I can just text. do it over text. Yeah. You know, she just has to say, what do you think of this? And I'll say yes or no or here. And if there needs to be a call, there needs to be a call. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's... Uh, that whole work environment. And I think that it's very important for people, for companies, for organizations to figure out what you want to do with video. Yeah. Because video, I think video is dangerous, you know, like video is really powerful and there's just video, video is just becoming the new, uh, the new thing. And I don't think it's necessarily the best thing. It's not the best tool just because you have it doesn't mean you have to use it. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not the solution to everything. Mm. It is a good solution, but there are other communication solutions that work. And text is one of them. Uh, These group, uh, like Facebook has a group, uh, groupware type thing where you can, set up a, a Slack-like environment and have different channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teams, I think, does it as well. But it seems that everybody just wants to talk about video. Yeah. And I don't believe that that's necessarily the best. Hmm. I'm always so anti-video, eh? Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of Zoom or in terms of virtual meetings is sound. Oh, yeah. There is a lot of information about the quality of sound and how sound is very personal, but it can really, really be an issue in the work environment. Hmm. So if you are working from home and your house happens to be on a flight path (laughs) and you have, or on a train, like if you're, if you have the go train behind you, then you have that noise that you have to deal with quite a bit. And Hmm. it can be really, really, um, jarring and difficult to work with so people have like this can happen in an office but because you can't control the noise of your home or leaf blowers leaf blowers are my nemesis they drive me crazy and you know in the fall and the spring it's like the leaf blowers come out because people have all forgotten how to use rakes rakes are now passe we all must have gas guzzling leaf blowers that you start running at eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Like, thank you so much. The louder, the better. Yeah. And, and the, it's like, what are you doing? That's not blowing any, anything. I just want to go out there sometimes and scream at people. But that noise pollution is, is really difficult to work with as well. And if you have it in the background, and I've had it in Best Fleet's, interviews it's like oh i can hear the leaf blower that's going on right outside your window and it's like yep nothing (laughs) you can do and there's nothing you can do what are you going to go and police the neighborhood and say you can't use your leaf blower that's not an option Mm. so um noise is a um is a very big issue and it's an issue for me because I'm very sensitive to noise. But isn't it the same noise. in an office? Like one of the issues I always have working in an office or any kind of shared space is the distraction of noise from all kinds of other people or other situations. And I find that even if I'm waiting for a flight back in the old before times when you could travel. Remember that? Yeah. And I would often have a couple hours to kill out an airport and try and get some work done. But there's so much noise distraction that I found it very difficult. And in an office, I would go into shared offices or go visit somebody and be working in their office for a bit back when we had office space uh, or other jobs where we had to be in an office. If I didn't have my own distinct office with a closed door, uh, I was always getting distracted. Anytime there was a bullpen or cubicles or open concept or anything like that, I had the hardest time getting focused to get anything done because there's so many distractions and noise and different things that are getting in the way. So that how was is that when different? We, well, I, how is it different? Uh, 
one of the things is that a certain amount of noise comes with the job that you're doing. Mm. So people choose careers that have certain amounts of noise there that come with certain amounts of noise. If you are a very, if you are a writer, if you are and you need quiet, you're not going to, your job should not be in the middle of a call center. You're not going to do well there. No. Um, and people who work in call centers are often very extroverted enough and don't mind no- noise. They don't yeah. care or they have m- ways of coping with it. Now, I was in the same situation as you in the bullpen environment where there's all these cubicles with half height mm-hmm. walls that really block nothing. And you're listening to everybody's phone call. And my response to that was, okay, I'm going to go work somewhere else. I'm going to go work in the yeah. cafeteria. I'm going to go work. I'm going to see if I can work from home. I'm going to go find an empty office or an empty meeting room and work there. That's mm-hmm. what I did. That's what mm-hmm. I did all the time when I was working in those environments. It's like, okay, yeah. I'm not getting anything done. And this is before the whole noise canceling headphones. Yeah. But, you know, now I can't read with music playing. I cannot so what I've found is that if I want to and I want to block out the noise from, you know, the neighbor's kids blasting stupid music over, you know, for the entire neighborhood is listen to white noise. <laughs> yeah. So I will get my get my phone and play like a loop of white noise to and that will actually get me. I can I can read with white noise. I cannot read with music. Yeah, I have that same challenge. And that's the big issue for me is that anytime there's music playing, I'm listening to that music. And people have music in the background. They have it in offices and they have it uh, any place that you go in public. And that is such a distraction for me. I just can't get any work done. I'm just listening to that. We are, if you, you can imagine... Um, our kids' friends have said that our house is very silent. <laughs> yeah, you may gather that our yeah. house does not have music. There's or not noise going. Into not school. a lot of ambient noise in our house. Which I mean, we like it. We like silence. We, you know, we like to be alone with our thoughts. Yeah, unless I'm making the noise, I don't want it. And your noise, like the noise from the drums, is not. That doesn't count. Actually, I don't do. I usually wear headphones if I'm trying to work while you're playing. But a lot of the time I just listen to you playing, so it's not an issue. But, you know, this is the noise we control. It's the noise we can't control that's an issue. Or, you know, the noise that comes in when you're in the middle of a Zoom call, like Mm. a leaf blower, or the noise that appears unexpectedly, all of that stuff. It's it's just, um, it adds to the stress that is already present because of the circumstances. So just, I think, I think to if you want to come away with anything from this is that be mindful that not everybody has great technology, not everybody can control the noise, not everybody has the same level of um, ability to deal with all of these changes. And so your stress level is going to go up and down depending on, on how, what, what kind of environment you create. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So taking that into consideration and your other points about different communication tools, choose accordingly. Don't always do video. Don't always do even audio calls. Recognize that less is more on those things. Mm -hmm. Use them very specifically and very uh, sporadically and fill in the gaps with other types of communication. Can I just tell you that if people insist on a video call, when there's no reason, <laughs> it is starting to irritate me. Yeah. And Jane I made a new enemy this week by somebody who did that, which actually is a nice segue into the next topic on the Best Fleets program. The Best Fleets program. Yes. We won't talk specifically about your new enemy, other than that every year there are some people that seem like they want to try and weasel their way around the process. There mm-hmm. are people who want to be involved and think that if they badger us enough, they'll be able to get on the list without doing any of the actual work. And it never, never pans out for them. We have a process. Everybody goes through the same process. And yes, it is miserable to go through that questionnaire the first time. 
We yep. make no bones about that. We are not hiding it. We say right up front, this is unpleasant. But once that questionnaire is done, we have lots of information and it gets easier from there. But everybody goes through it equally. So yep. if you're a giant public company and you think you're too good to answer 110 questions, you're not going to do well in the program. We don't care that you're big. We don't care that you're public. We don't care that you have a great brand. The process is the process. You participate if you want. You don't have to answer any of the questions, but if you want to participate and you want a shot at being in the top 20, you got to go through the same path that everybody else did to get there. And I think that I'm, I think I'm getting less uh, sympathetic to people who just want to win the award. You know, there's a lot of companies that just want to be on the list because it's a, you know, it's something that they can put in. They just want the logo to put on. They just want the logo. Yeah. But it's not that. And I, and it's so hard to convince, like the people who know this understand it. And a lot of them are on the top 20 anyway, but which is, this is a quality improvement process. It is a, it is a way that you can for yourself figure out how, where the gaps are in your own company. And to tell you the truth, going through that process with all of these other companies every year makes us go through that process as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are not, we're asking all of, all of the participants these questions, but we also end up asking ourselves these questions. I mean, not for drivers because we don't have any drivers, but you know, what about for our staff? And do we have a mechanism for X, Y, and Z? Do we have a plan for X, Y, and Z? When we hear all about everybody else's, we're like, oh, you know what? Maybe this is a gap for us as well. So there's a constant improvement process that is really invaluable for comp- for any company to go through. And once you've done it the first, like even the first time, you have a conversation with one of us that you had not, you would not have had before. And we get those. And when we talk to first timers, they're like, wow, I'm surprised that I, I'm surprised about this conversation. I've had, I've only done three interviews so far and all three of them have been expressed that they're all first timers and they all have said the same thing. It's like, wow, you know, I was reminded of the things that we do well. I didn't think that I was going to have a conversation like that. I'm really surprised about this that they don't realize the power of talking about your own company and talking about the details of what you do for people. And that can make you feel really good. And it can also go make you go, whoa, we need to do something about that. Yeah. And, but that's not a bad thing. That means that you have, you have completed a measurement process and found out where the gaps are, which is exactly how you create a better company. Yeah. Well, it's funny that in order to get on the top 20, you really have to forget about getting on the top 20. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to to approach it as not being about. Yeah. Well, and I find that striking because I've seen it elsewhere. Uh, It's my experience in the music business is that the people who went into the music business wanting to be famous, wanting to be uh, successful rock stars, the people that were big into that. And that was sort of their main motivating factor never did very well. They never ended up going very far, but the people that cared about the playing and cared about the music and worked on improving and focused on their songwriting and stuff like that did way better. And not all of them became rock stars, but they got a lot farther than the people that were focused on the end goal of being a rock star. And it's the same thing here. The people that come into it thinking, I want to get this logo to put on my website or I want to get recognized because we're great, uh, they don't do very well. The people who come into it and say, this is a good opportunity for us to evaluate ourselves, to have an outside objective uh, view of what we're doing, identify some gaps, see what we need to work on and be able to focus some of our efforts. Those people do really well. Because they get that, like you say, they look at these things, they identify their gaps, they do something about it, they have conversations internally, they get better as a group. And sometimes, because they are coming into our program with that right mindset, it's because uh, they have already been doing it, 
that they can embrace that a little bit more easily, they often do pretty well, even the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If they have had that kind of mindset of continuous improvement and they have looked at these things, we just give them a little bit more to look at or a little bit more of a it's it's a free sounding board for crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, you go to do that questionnaire and you do the interview and for free, you have some you basically have an hour and a half of consulting services. Yeah, and those people have already got the machine of doing that improvement. We're just giving them some different fuel for it. Mm-hmm. And uh like I think even first timers can do pretty well. They may not probably wouldn't jump immediately onto the top 20 but they could probably get a fleet to watch. And, yeah. you know, that's that's a pretty good accomplishment the first time coming into a program. Who's gotten on the first time? Like in, like barring the early years when it, there were fewer participants. In but like Grand, years, Island, Grand Island Express was in it in the, the first year. Oh, in the first five years, there was a bunch that would sort of come in and immediately get on the top 20. But in the last five years, almost nobody. The only one that has come in and got onto the top 20 their first time in the program was Gardner Trucking. Yeah. And they kind of were their first year in it, but they kind of also spent a year watching the whole thing and learning and taking notes and prepping. So they didn't just leap onto the top 20 and come into this thing and say, well, do I really have to answer all these questions? I mean, there's a lot of questions. How many of them do we actually have to answer and get onto the top 20? That wasn't their approach. Their approach was, let's do our homework, prep for this, get the whole company together, make sure that we're in good shape, talk to the people that have been on the top 20, talk to other participants about what we should expect going into it, talk to our drivers so we know what they're going to say and how they're feeling about things. And then they came into the program. Well, they had effectively done kind of an informal shadow version of the program on their own for a year. And then they came into it officially and did really well. That's a rarity though. Yeah. But Grand Island Express was one that came in. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Boyle was another one that came in. Uh, did Newsbomb? Newsbomb. Yeah. There's, there's, there's been a few. Yeah. But, but it's, it's not easy. And it's harder all the time. Because those people that are on that list uh, generally don't want to leave. This year, we know there's going to be a few spots open because there's a few people uh, from last year that have said different circumstances are forcing them to pull out, mm-hmm. uh, which is unfortunate, but uh, it opens up some spaces yeah. for some other people. Plus, there are always a few that don't quite make it back. So my bet is there may be five new ones, five or six That'd new ones. That would be cool. Yeah. That would be cool. We'll I have see. seen, like, the first timers that I have seen have been have been really good. Yeah, I've I've done some really good ones too. Yeah, like the quality of the quality has just really improved in the last two or three years. We're talking to companies that are like just doing the right things and people are starting to get a sense of the best practices to Mm -hmm. keep drivers happy and and that's really showing. So that's nice. It's nice to see. Yeah, they're talking to each other a lot more, which is exactly what we wanted from the beginning. Yeah. And, um, yeah, doesn't, I don't really have a whole lot to say about the best fleets program. It's, you know, humming along the way it does. And I think what's worth saying and is quite awesome this year is that we are in the thick of the interviews right now. We've got a little over two weeks left in the interview period, which normally would be an insane time. Yeah. And both of us would be sounding like we hadn't slept in weeks, uh, and we would be at each other's throats. Uh, for all but the 40 minutes of podcast recording. <laughs> <laughs> but this year, it's been a dream. It's been I've fabulous. I've only done three. I think I might have done five or six, yeah. but I haven't done very many. And it's it's been so We lovely. know who has. <laughs> yes, because now that we have Chris, whose job is primarily doing the Best Fleets program, yeah, he's he's getting killed. And I'm Hey, I keep it. telling him I'll take the, I'll take some off his plate, but he's, he's not got, giving them uh, up. I think he said he's got seven or eight of them booked for next week. Well, I have the majority of mine that I was assigned. The majority of them are next week. Yeah. So next week is going to be a busy week. I think I have seven next week. Oh, you've got seven as well. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I'm maybe five. Okay. But everybody, yeah, I think it might be five. That's a lot to do. So two Best Fleets interviews in a day is tough. Three is manageable, but you're drained at the end of it. 
Oh, I don't have them all in one day. It's over the week. But yeah, if you've got yeah, seven. Four is, is four insane. Is, is the summit of Everest that has only been reached once. And I've done it a couple of times, four interviews. No, you've actually only done it once. There only was a one time that you had it scheduled for four and one bailed. Uh, but yeah, oh, you did it one okay. time and you were just uh, a, I don't know, a, a husk. A puddle. <laughs> you know, a husk and a puddle. Em- <laughs> empty husk shell. Yeah. Yeah. You were those. Someone uh, feed me my gruel. It was, it was brutal. Yeah. And it was like, and don't forget, it's on top of a week of busy Best Fleets calls. So I was doing two and three in the day. So the day before I probably did two. Yeah. And then I, and then the day after I probably did two or three. So it's just an ongoing onslaught. But um, on the topic of programs, we should talk about well, our new yes, program. We are not so busy with Best Fleets interviews, which is awesome because we are filling our time with something that we've been working on for months and it was finally announced uh, since our last podcast, mm-hmm. which is the new, what we refer to internally, the WIT DNI, which is the Diversity and Inclusion Index that we are doing as a new recognition program with Women in Trucking. Yes. And yeah, so officially announced, uh, or I guess it was sort of a soft announced tease come to the convention or come to their conference and learn more about it. Uh, but yeah, there was talk about it. You did a companion piece on five tips for improving diversity. Mm-hmm. And we are putting the finishing touches on a presentation to outline why this is important and what to do about it and what the program is going to do. And that is for. That would be a presentation. For the Accelerate at, Conference. Yes, for the WIT Accelerate Conference happening at the beginning of November. Right. So, and this is diversity is not just women. So what we were, we were approached by Debbie Sparks, who is the VP of Women in Trucking. And also uh, she was the VP of programs at TCA. Something like that. She I can't remember her actual TCA. title, but she was responsible for programs and or for the Best Fleets program. So we've worked with her quite extensively for a long time. And um, so we are working with her again on the WIT DNI index. She came to us and asked us if we'd be interested in doing a program that wasn't just about bringing women into the trucking industry, but trying to encourage all kinds of diversity. So gender, race, anything other than ability, straight um, white man. Yeah, the non straight white man. Gender, ethnicity. Ability levels, yeah, uh, orientation, anything. Like everything, yeah. So we have, and it's going to be similar to, similar and not similar to Best Fleets. I mean, there's going to be a, a multi-part process. The yeah, questionnaire the process will be very similar. The questionnaire will be shorter um, because Best Fleets, the problem with Best Fleets is that we have to ask about everything that touches the driver. And what we found is that in a trucking company, everything touches the driver. Everything. Like we're asking questions because it's about the driver. So we're asking questions about operations. We're asking questions about human resources. We're asking about performance and recognition. And it's the entire company. Like a lot of these smaller companies have 10 people in the office and they have 300 drivers. Mm -hmm. Well, the bulk of the company is drivers. So, Um, but in the DNI index, what we're going to be doing is looking more at how you are, how are you recruiting all of your staff? How are you developing all of your staff? And what kind of leadership uh, diversity do you have? And are you reflecting, you know, what kind of um, diversity are you reflecting back to the rest of the industry? Yeah. And what are you doing to try and improve the diversity that you that you have because everybody well it's been i'm not going to say everybody knows um it's been well established by studies and there's a number of studies that have been completed over the last five or ten years that diversity increases profitability gender diversity increases it a certain amount um ethnic diversity increases it more it's very difficult to have gender and ethnic diversity. It's trying. It's hard to promote both of those at once. But if you have it, then you have an added bonus. And it's really about bringing different 
different opinions to the table. Yes. Uh, so it's also kind of different uh, for us in that it's not going to be so much a contest. This really certainly uh, for the first year or two is more about collecting information, mm-hmm. which I, I guess is what Best Fleets was in the beginning. It was, we don't know what anybody's doing in these areas. So let's get the data and just see what's happening. And then from there, we'll see if there are things that are better than others that we can recognize and share as templates for people. And that's kind of what we're doing with this program as well, is it's really starting with information gathering because we are not judging people on what they're doing. We're just saying, what are you doing? We know that people are doing a lot of different things in different areas, but what are those things? So we want to start by collecting that. And uh, from there, as we have done with the Best Fleets program, start sharing some of those ideas and saying, hey, these people are trying this and it's worked pretty well. So that might work for you as well. Well, I think we're also going to, I mean, we are going to have awards associated with it. Yeah, we're going to recognize something in terms of awards, but, but we're it's not, not going to be a, sure how that's going to work and what we're going to recognize. But it's not going to be a top 20. No, that wouldn't make sense. And it's going to be difficult. We don't want to say, you know, this is the number one overall, you know, company for diversity in the trucking industry, what we want to, what we want to do is recognize excellence in certain types of programs. So excellence in recruiting or excellence in, um, leadership skills or, or, you know, we haven't completely decided yet. And I think part of the decision-making or part of what we have to determine is what we're going to recognize. We are going to recognize something and it's going to be multiple companies. It's just not going to be the same type of you know, we assign scores and then rank them and then whoever gets the most is the winner, which yeah. is kind of how we do it now with Best Fleets, which is a, oh, is a bit of a simplistic way of <laughs> describing well, it. Yeah. And it's it's developed over years uh, of, of refining it. In the beginning, we weren't sure what we were going to recognize and how. And even now, we don't know what we're going to score in the Best Fleets program. We Correct. just know that we will find things that we can score. So with this what we are going to be looking at is what data is coming in and are there trends in particular areas? Are there things that are jumping out? Uh, are there things that following the same kind of model as best fleets, are there things that other people could adopt that just maybe haven't been considered or they haven't done it yet? So we don't want to just recognize people who spend a bunch of money. We want to recognize people that are creative thinkers and are moving the industry forward in different ways. So what does that look like in the context of creating a more diverse industry that also helps solve the driver problem by bringing more people into it and a more diverse population into it, uh, also helps uh, tracking companies that are getting questions from their customers about their diversity efforts and all of that sort of thing. Uh, So it's a very interesting project that we're starting and uh, I have just a million question marks around everything and I can't wait to see what we get as far as data. The challenge is that it's announced now we're going to be talking about it at the WIT conference in November, but it doesn't actually open for applications until March of next year. Right. I don't see that very much as a problem. No, it's a problem because I want the answers now. Oh, okay. I want the data now. (laughs) I want to know. Patience, grasshopper. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually more interested in trying to warm everybody up for it. You know, it's, it's a, I don't want to say controversial. It's a difficult topic, right? Yeah. It's a, it's kind of uncharted territory in a lot of ways. And it's a, it's a, it's territory that makes people really angry a lot of the time. There's a lot of reasons for that. There's, you know, people think that they're already doing tons of stuff. They are tired of listening to it. They are not sure what it even means. They're, um, it's, it's just not interesting for them. So there's a lot of resistance to diversity or to the whole topic of representation and making sure that, you know, you have the right, you know, you have people, you know, is it, oh, we're just going to put this person in here so that we can fill a quota. There's a lot of that resistance. And I think it's because it's just just too much. People are getting tired of it. 
and not everybody is getting tired of it, but I know that there is that fatigue. Well, there's kind of like the headline level fatigue and debate and controversy and all of that. And that's what we want to kind of avoid. Yeah, I do not want to go there. All of that away. But under the surface, we know that people are actually doing stuff. And that's really what we want to do is get under that surface, get away from all of that uh, crap that makes people nervous or makes them feel self-conscious and just get to the things that they are actually doing to say, hey, what worked for you? And one of the things that I've gotten through this Fast Company festival thing that I've been at, this has been tons of stuff on diversity, which it was not what was advertised. It's just that everybody's talking about diversity in terms of creativity Hmm. and innovation because, and this is really important, is the more diversity that you have of all of these different types of people coming at an idea or at a problem, the better the solutions are, the more successful you're going to be. And um, this is going to probably end up in the presentation. But one of the things that I found when I was doing some research for our presentation is um, a, a one of the founders of PayPal actually said, you are, it don't work, you know, diversity is, is not going to work for you. It's not an advantage. Just it, you won't be able to work fast and you won't get the money. You won't be able to get, it won't be as easy to get virtual uh, not virtual, uh, venture capital. So that was as recently as 2014, he was telling people, you know, diversity is a, is a, an issue. Don't, don't worry about diversity, just do it fast. Do. And so you get together with all your white boyfriends and, you know, get your VC and, you know, build your company and don't worry about it. So what ends up happening is that, because of that, everybody didn't worry about diversity. Like all of like the, the guy, one of the founders of PayPal is going to be very uh, influential. So all of these other people went like, OK, that's what we're going to do. We're going to work fast, break things, get lots of capital, you know, make lots of money. And so then what happened is Silicon Valley became a, a mess. Yeah, a real mess. And if you had and if you do go slower and if you do include different voices, a lot of really bad things could possibly have been avoided. And that's part of what you are going to talk about is when diversity isn't part of the conversation, things happen that you don't like. Bad things happen. Yeah. And maybe, you know, thinking about, you know, bringing diversity to a problem or bringing it, you know, bringing diversity to leadership can really um, help avoid the small mistakes that lead to larger mistakes. So it's not that, you know, having an all white male um, you know, a f- a group of founders for a company is not going to make it not successful. Like PayPal is really successful and Facebook is really successful. And, but there are problems that come down that, that you, that start off small, but compound. So the idea of, you know, uh, the problem with Uber mm-hmm. and the issues surrounding, uh, discrimination and harassment in, in Uber, what, if you had had a woman, you know, involved in leadership may not have happened because you may have had, or you've had more women involved in leadership, maybe it would have, ha- wouldn't have happened because that problem could have been addressed and solved. And you have to do that at the leadership level. The other, the other thing that I've learned is that the reason that diversity and leadership works so well is because when you have everybody, this like if you have hom- homo- homogenous, there, there we go, go. homogeneous, <laughs> homogeneous leadership, it's easier to make fast decisions and it's easier to have agreement but it's also easier to support the wrong decisions. Yeah. So when you have diversity, diversity actually encourages friction and it encourages more questioning. You don't automatically assume that or give somebody a pass for a decision that might seem questionable. So I think that you and I work well together is because we're constantly questioning each other. Like you don't, you oh. know, I come out with some bizarre thing and you're, you're just constantly questioning me so that I want to beat you. And then, you know, at the same time, you make a suggestion and I'm going to question. Shooting it down. (laughs) You shoot it down so harshly. Oh, yeah. I'm so harsh with you. Yes. But uh, 
that's kind of where that's coming from. And it's it's um, it's going to be interesting to. Well, OK, going back, I, I just have my head full of this right now. One of the things that everybody who I've heard talk about diversity and how to increase it is to start, just start, start with the smallest thing that you can, like it's something that you can stomach, just start, mm-hmm. just start thinking about it. And even just look at what your company is doing and whether you take stock, take a look and read something. Just, you know, just do one thing. Yep. And I think that is an excellent sentiment to end on because it sends people off with something to think about and something to do. There you go. Call to action. Yes, we will have more on that in our next episode and in uh, future episodes. Uh, But for now, I think that's it. Yeah. So have a great day. Thanks. (laughs) 